good afternoon, everyone. It's so great to be here with you today. Along, uh, my name is Pastor Todd, and along with my wife, Jan, we are the lead pastors here at Eastside City Church, and we are just so glad that you are here with us today. And I want to just give a, a special acknowledgement here today. Wasn't it just amazing to see our youth worship team uh, leading worship today? Uh, they are fantastic. God is doing great things with them. And I want to encourage you, if you have teenagers here, uh, that you would be uh, open maybe to go on, uh, bring them on Friday nights to our youth gatherings that start at 7 o'clock. God is just doing great things within our, our youth uh, uh, ministry, and uh, we're just seeing God do things. And I know that if your kid was a part of that, they would be blessed. God would touch them. And it's just been an amazing thing. So I just want to make that acknowledgement here today. But today I want to say this, that we are going to be concluding our series on 1 John called Growing in Love. And the title of my message today is this. It's called, Who's Your Daddy? Who's Your Daddy? Now when we talk about growing in love, we know this, that God's design for each and every one of us is this, that we would first of all grow more in our love for him, grow in our love for one another, as well as grow in our love for those who God has surrounded us with outside of even the church. And so before we dive into this message, I want to give you a few quick facts. Now, those of you that have been here throughout both the fall and, and here as we've continued this series here in February and March, you probably can quote some of these things with me. But here's a, some things that I want you to be aware of when we look at First John. First of all, it was written by John, who was a disciple of Jesus Christ. He was one that had a very unique perspective of his understanding and knowledge of Jesus because of his very, very close relationship with him. In fact, John was known as the beloved, the disciple that, that actually when they were eating together, they would lay on each other's chest. So he got to hear Jesus' most personal, intimate thoughts. And so when we read the scriptures, we can see that John had some insight into his life. Secondly, it was written at the end of John's life. John was, uh, would have been over 80 years old when 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John were written. And this allows us to know that John wasn't just talking about uh, a few things that he maybe he observed a few days ago, but he was now uh, a church patriarch that had lived through the, uh, the life of Jesus, his uh, birth, death, burial, and resurrection, and he had seen the early church as it was growing, as it was moving forward. So he was able to share some things that were important for us to understand about what he was observing when it came to our walk with God and our relationship with Jesus. Lastly, it was not a book that was uh, um, written to one particular group. It was written to people everywhere. It was written to those who were in the surrounding areas, but it was written primarily for believers. And again, I'm thankful today that those of us that are here that believe in Jesus, these are words that will encourage us and help us to grow and mature and become more like Jesus. Well, who here today is saying, Pastor, I'm with you. I want to become more like Jesus. Well, let's go to the word of God here today. Could we? So I'm going to read you in 1 John chapter 5, and we're going to start in verse 13. Now, I'm going to be reading to you 
out of the New Living Translation. So if you have your Bibles here today, you can open there and follow with me as I read. Or maybe you're one of those that has an electronic device like a phone or an iPad. You can go to it on your Bible app. Or if you don't have any of those things, you can just follow along on the screen as I read. And here we have it, 1 John 5, starting in verse 13. And here's what it says. I've written this to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know you have eternal life. And we are confident that he hears us whenever we ask for anything that pleases him. And since we know he hears us when we make our requests, we also know that he will give us what we ask for. And if you see a fellow believer sinning in a way that does not lead to death, you should pray that God will give that person life. But there is a sin that leads to death. And I'm not saying you should pray for those who commit it. All wicked actions are sin, but not every sin leads to death. We know that God's children do not make a practice of sinning, for God's Son holds them securely, and the evil one cannot touch them. We know that we are children of God, and that the world around us is under the control of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we can know the true God, And now we live in fellowship with the true God because we live in fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ. He is the only true God and he is eternal life. Dear children, keep away from anything that might take God's place in your hearts. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, today I thank you for your word. I thank you that your word is alive that your word produces life inside of us when we hear it. So God, I pray that you would open our hearts to receive, our ears to hear, our eyes to see, our minds to comprehend everything, God, that you have for us today. Lord, would you encourage us to grow more in love with you and become like you each and every day. In Jesus' precious name we pray. And everyone said, amen, amen, hallelujah. Well, I I want to start off by sharing this with you, that I I believe that being a parent is a pretty cool job. I mean, it it is an awesome thing to be able to uh, work with and be a part of the kids that God blesses you. So I, I think it's pretty cool most of the time, except when it's hard. You know, these little bundles of life, they, 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 that look like us and talk like us, as we talked about last week, that they, they look to you and I to meet their needs, don't they? They, 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 they come with um, so many things that, they, that are, are unique about them. And so when it comes to parenting, it can be fulfilling and frustrating at the same time. Why? Because every child is different, aren't they? It doesn't matter that if you have twins, each one of them has a unique personality, and what works for one rarely works for the other, which is why I say this, that a lot of times people's advice on how you should raise your kid, it doesn't always work because your kids are different. Now, I've wondered this, I've thought about this, wouldn't it be wonderful if every time there was a child that was born, that they arrived with a manual that was included specific for that child. Wouldn't that be brilliant? I mean, we buy vacuum cleaners that have manuals. We, get, we have computers that have manuals. Why not one manual for each kid? I, I just think it would be really helpful. Now, i got to be honest here. Problem is that 
most of us guys probably wouldn't read it anyways, but that's a whole nother story, another sermon title, another message. Now, I got to share, when it came to my own children, um, I I think there was a year when I believe my son was either in grade one or two that that I think I probably would have earned the Bad Parent of the Year Award. I don't know if you've ever felt like that or you've been involved with something. Well, let me tell you what happened. I was asked to be a chaperone for my children's school field trip to the zoo. And so I accepted doing this, and as I arrived, I was given a list, and you know, like most parents, they give you your own child as part of your group, and they gave me three other little boys. And so we began our journey. We knew what time we had to meet, when the bus was going to be there, and our job was just to go and see the animals and have a great time at the zoo. Well, after about 30 minutes, we saw a few animals. The boys noticed in the zoo, I I think it's a genius move by them, an amazingly large playground in the middle of the zoo. Well, they're in grade one or two, so for them, the animals were okay, but the playground, well, that was awesome. I think it is the most expensive playground in the city. You pay for a zoo admission to play in the playground and maybe see a few animals. I kind of, that's how I looked at it. Well, they were playing, and they were having a good time, and everything was going great, and all of a sudden, the heavens opened up, and it began to rain. I mean, I'm not just talking a little bit of rain. It was pouring. It was just, it was like torrential flooding that was going on. And so I went to the boys like, come come on, you got to come back under the cover. Come with me. And so we, we only got about 45 minutes left. Let's wait. Well, hopefully the rain will stop. Well, it didn't stop. It just kept raining and raining and raining. And so we got to the place where it was like, it is, it's time to go. We've got to go. And so I said to them, because it's raining so bad, and of course, being the great parent leader that I was, I didn't have an umbrella with me, um, I was like, we're going to have to run for it. We're going to have to run from down here over the bridge into the entrance. And so when I say ready, set, go, we've got to go. We've got we to gotta hoof it. We've got we to gotta book it up to the top. And so I did that. Ready, set, go. And we ran. We went over the bridge. We got to the entrance. And I began to, and I, I looked and I arrived. And here was the teachers and all their groups. And, and I began to count. I got one, two, three. Where's number four? You know, not only was there a kid missing, it was my own kid. (laughs) Now, I got to say this. To be fair, if you're going to lose a child on a field trip, it's probably better that you lose your own child than somebody else's, right? And so I got to the top, and I was like, oh, my goodness. The teacher's like, "Uh, Mr. Swisher, you're missing somebody. Oh, you're missing your own son. I'm like, ah! I realized that. So I ran back down over the bridge into the the, um, um, playground area under the cover, and there was my son sitting at a table with this kind old man, bawling his eyes out because he thought he'd been abandoned. Now, there's maybe been a little bit of counseling that's had to happen over the years, but God's healing him and working on it, and it's all going to be okay. You see, much of 1 John focuses on Jesus as the Son of God. And I've shared many things over the course of these last few weeks, but it's one of the things that it distinguishes Jesus from every other deity, the fact that he is God's Son. He's not just a good man, a great teacher, or a fantastic prophet. 
No, he's more than that. He was the Son of God. And the relationship that Jesus has with his Father are demonstrations of the relationship, is a demonstration of the relationship that God desires to have with each one of us. You see, I know when we begin to talk about relationships with the Heavenly Father, this can be a difficult conversation for some people. I understand that for some of us in here today, our relationship with our our dads here on earth has been a great thing. It's been wonderful. Our parents have been here for us. They've supported us and encouraged us. But for many others, your dad was not always good to you or even present in your life. So the topic of God as our father can be difficult and understand to receive. But I want you to understand this today as I begin to share this, that God is a good and trustworthy dad. He is the example of what a real father should be. And even if our dads were great, we know they weren't always perfect. They didn't always do things right, but God always does things right. And he's the best dad on the planet. When we talk about dads, though, what is it that dads provide in our lives? Well, I got three things I want to share in this first part of my message. First of all, dads provide protection. You know, the reason it's important to know that God is our father is he provides protection for us. When my dad was around, I was not afraid of anyone. You know that feeling? You could be at the playground, and you were there, and you had no cares or concern who was on the slide or the merry-go-round. You were like, I'm going to go on there, even if there were kids two or three years older than you. Why? Because your dad was there. And if they tried to do anything for you, if you were like me, I was one of those snotty kids that would be th- say things like this. You know what? If things might get a little heated on the playground, uh, I was not to bring, bring up the fact that my dad was actually sitting right over there. And if we really got into it, I would say something like, my dad can beat up your dad. You know, you kind of get into those those confrontations. You see, my dad was somebody, I I remember if there was things that were a little scary at night, he was the one I would run into his room because I thought there was a monster hiding under my bed. You see, your dads give us the sense of protection, safety. They also are part of our personal identity. You see, a dad's presence gives confidence to their children. It's something that's it's an amazing thing. I know when I was growing up that, that one of the things that I looked forward to is finally getting to the place where I could wear a jersey with the last name of my family on the back of it. You see, the dad is who usually gives people that last name, that identification of who they are, what their family is all about. I remember when my father would come to my games. That was something that just motivated me. I always played just that little bit better when he was in the stands. You see, his approval meant everything. Because why it validates who we are. When I was preparing for this, I couldn't help but think about when Jesus was entered into the waters of baptism and Jesus was coming out. What was it that his father said to him? He said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased You see, even Jesus needed to be validated by the Father. You see, when we are talking about baptism here in a couple weeks, I think one of the reasons we say, well, why should we we do this? Well, it was something that Jesus did to please the Father. If we want to follow his example, it gives us that opportunity as well to say, you know what, God, I just want to honor you because of who you are. I want to honor your name. I want to see your name. And I want to say this to the dads here today. 
One of the greatest gifts that you can give your kids is to let them know that you are pleased with them, that you value them, that you think that the things that they're doing in their life and their world have meaning and purpose. I think it's one of the greatest gifts that we can give. Lastly, I believe that one of the great things that our dads provide for us is provision. Dads are usually the providers for their family. If your kids are anything like my kids, they're not afraid to ask me for stuff. They love asking me for stuff. And because I'm a dad, you know, I want to give them as much stuff as I possibly can. You know, that's part of my role. In fact, in our family, everybody knows when it comes to getting things that I am the weak link. Even our five-pound chihuahua knows that she comes to me if she wants something. You see... Mom has the order and the direction. She loves her kids, but I just, I just want to bless everybody. How much more God's heart towards us. If he's the example of a great father, how much more does God want to provide us for us and bless us? Well, let's read this again in 1 John 5, going back to verse 13. I've written this to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know you have eternal life. And we are confident that he hears us whenever we ask for anything that pleases him. And since we know that he hears us when we make our request, we also know that he will give us what we ask for. Wow. John is talking about the father heart of God here. And he's saying, listen to this. Listen to what God's intention is for you. First of all, Because of his goodness, God says, he says, look, he's given to each and every one of us who believe in his son, Jesus Christ, eternal life, the gift of eternal life. You see, you don't have to worry about what your destiny in life, what's going to happen after you die. He's saying, look, because God is such a good father, he has provided you with the gift of eternal life. And then he goes on to say, not only does he do that, but while we're here on earth, God gives us what we ask for through prayer when we pray to him. Now my question is this, and I I know I'm kind of playing things a little bit from both sides, but the Bible says that God gives us whatever we ask for. Well, Well, does he do that? Does God answer every one of our prayers? Now my my response to that is, Absolutely. Just not always the way that we want him to (laughs) when we understand God. You see, the first thing I want to talk about here is this whole area of prayer. You see, prayer is where we communicate with God. It's where we can talk to him and he can talk to us. Prayer is powerful. I believe this, that prayer is like oxygen for your spirit. It's what nourishes you. It's what gives you life. And I say this, if you are not connecting with, to God with, in prayer, you're missing out on the life that he wants to pour into you. A lot of times I see cranky, crabby, frustrated Christians. It's because they're not spending that time with the Father to get that freshness and that newness of life inside of them. <laughs> prayer is what moves mountains. We all face obstacles in our life. We all face difficulties. I believe that prayer is what moves mountains. And as I've already said, prayer is what connects our heart to God. Now we know we should pray, but why do we not always do so? 
Well, again, I'm not here to beat people over the head today. Here's the reality. Life is incredibly busy. In fact, I would say that I think as I've gotten older and I've watched what's going on in the world around me, life just seems to be getting faster and busier and more full. And, and I look at some of you parents, man, you're doing everything you can. You've got to take kids to soccer practice and you've you got to go get groceries. And some of you, because of the economy, you're not just working one job, you're working two jobs and three jobs. And I'm just here to tell you, man, I understand that things are really difficult. Life is busy. But can I maybe offer this? Life is so busy that you need prayer now more than ever. That you need prayer in your life even more than you did before because of what is going on around you. Secondly, we don't always pray because we don't maybe know what to say or how to pray. We're not sure. We don't want to sound foolish with God. Maybe we've never learned how to do this and we think that there's some special magical formula on the way that you communicate with God, but it really is pretty simple. It's just sharing with God what's inside of your heart and learning how to listen to his voice. You see, sometimes people think prayer is just talking, 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 fill it up. I got to pray for an hour. I got to. No, it's learning how to listen to his voice as well. But I also, if I'm going to be honest, I think sometimes that we struggle with prayer because we're afraid that God won't answer our prayer. Maybe we've been disappointed before. Maybe we've prayed things. Maybe we've believed for things in our past. Maybe we've asked God for things and somehow, somewhere in our own mind, we didn't see that he, where he responded to us. And so we live our life in this place of, you know what, it's just easier if I don't have too much expectation. You know, it's just easier if I don't push for, for, for the best things. And so we can begin not only to live our life that way when it comes to our relationship with God, but we can have that relationship with people like our wives and our kids. That, oh, I just, don't, don't go too far here because you could be disappointed. And so we miss out on the full measure of deepness of relationship and intimacy, which God so desires to have with us. I say this, prayer is not easy, but it's essential. Now, why then do we not see more answered prayer or prayers answered in the way that we think they should be? Well, I'm going to start off by saying this. Because we many times see things from our perspective and not God's. You see, the Bible is so clear and I love this and it frustrates me at the same time. The Bible says his ways are not our ways. His, he answers prayer not according to our wants, you've got to understand this, but according to his will. You see, when we say God doesn't answer prayer, that's not true. He doesn't always answer things according to the way we want him to, but he always answers prayer. He always responds. I wish sometimes that God would do what I want him to do. But that doesn't always happen. In fact, it rarely happens. (laughs) Secondly, we don't see more answer prayer because we lack endurance. We give up way too easy. We may know God's will, but we don't know his timing. And I I, I see this. We we live in a society that, that... likes to see things happen very quickly. In 22 and a half minutes, we can watch an episode of CSI and see a crime committed, uh, uh, 
people challenged and it resolved in that half an hour. And then the next half an hour, they do it all over again. And it's like, wow, it's amazing. What they don't show you is all the time that went in between that happening. You see, I believe this. What if God's desire is to show people his heart and character through your challenges? What if not only is he working on you, but he's working out things in other people's lives through your difficult situations, and just at the right time, he will answer your prayer in a real and tangible way, but you can't give up. We gotta press in, we gotta push forward. Lastly, I believe sometimes we don't see prayers answered the way that we think they should because we pray with the wrong motivation. We all have things we want God to do. What if what you want is not what he wants? Who's right? I love the Lord's Prayer. It's an outline, really, for how we should pray. And after we pray, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be or holy is your name, and you can pray the different names of Jesus, it makes this statement. It says, your kingdom will come, your will be done. Why? Because at the, at the heart of what we should be praying is that, God, we want to see your will be done on earth through my life. God, do what you see fit. Do what you want to do. I've watched people, and it's saddened my heart. I've had people meet in my office, or I've been on airplanes flying with people who say, you know what, I, 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 they find out I'm a pastor, they're like, you know what, I used to be a Christian like you. Well, I'm like, well, what happened? Well, you know, I was praying for this, and I prayed for this for a couple years, and God didn't do anything. God is a liar. God doesn't answer prayer. And I sit there and I go, oh, Lord, how sad. How sad to think that somehow we can manipulate God to do what we want. Because if he's a God that we can manipulate, he's really not a God at all. He's not a God that I want to serve because that means that whatever somebody else's desires. Now, I, I think sometimes I have some pretty good ideas of what I think God should do. But who here today is thankful that it's it's God, not Todd. Because I, 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 might, I might have some good ideas, but they may not be what you think is a good idea. But he always has the right idea. So how do we do this? Well, John gives us this indication. He says, well, pray about about things that please God. Well, what is it that pleases God? Well, I, I want to say this. The, the things that please God are when God gets the glory for what's going on. You see, God's desire that we would lift up his name over all of the earth. I believe this, that when we pray, that when we seek God, that when we're asking God to do things, that when we look out for his reputation over our reputation, that God, it moves his heart, it moves his hand to do great things. I don't know if you remember in the Old Testament the story of Moses. I mean, he had the, the unenviable job of leading the Israelites, some of the most hard-necked people on the planet. And there was a time when God got so frustrated with them, and it wasn't just once, it was a few times, that all of a sudden God was like, Moses, step out of the way. I want to destroy these people. I'm tired of them. 
I'll build a great nation through you. And Moses, what did Moses do? He got down on his hands and his knees and his face. He said, go God, don't do that because of your reputation. It's your reputation. You you said that you would make this a mighty people. You said that you would pour out your glory through them. God, you, you, you would just totally be disgracing your name if you destroyed them. And here God relented. Jesus, when he was on the earth, his disciples were asking him about, about why people were sick, why that person was blind. And they said, they were asking Jesus, and they said to him, Jesus, is that person blind because of a sin they committed or their parents committed? And Jesus responded, no, they were blind so that God could be glorified on the earth. I'm going to touch them, I'm going to heal them. You see, our desire in prayer should, God, what can bring glory to your name? What else pleases God? Showing compassion for people who are in need. Helping the poor, seeing the oppressed delivered, adding new people to the kingdom of God, healing the sick in both body and mind. You see, there are so many people oppressed, and we say, God, would you have compassion on them? God says, I want to help, I want to touch. But we need to watch out for our own self-motivation, that we will trust God for his reputation, not ours. We obey and pray, and we leave the rest to God. I say this today, you will only be as strong as your prayer life. As a church, can I take it another step further? We will only be as strong as the prayer of our community. You see, there's importance of us praying together. That's why on Wednesday nights we have corporate prayer for people to come and join us and be a part and learn to pray together and exercise our faith. That's why before each service, I don't know if you know this, uh, it starts at, from n- at 9 o'clock and at 11 o'clock the prayer room is open so that you can pray together with other people, that our hearts can be joined together so that we can see God do what he wants to do. Tom Rainier a great theologian and person that studies what's going on in church says one of the great epidemics that's going on in the church of North America is a prayer crisis that he says people are not praying and because of it there are things that are going on that shouldn't be going on I want to encourage you in spite of all of that you're facing in your life, that I would encourage you to, first of all, make a commitment to find that time to be with God. I say this, praying together, praying for people is not about the fact that we uh, somehow can gain more of God's acceptance over our life. It's because we need more of God in our lives to be what he wants us to be. And when we come together, we learn from others, We grow closer together and we release a greater measure of God's power. I believe this, that we need to work on making prayer a conviction, not a convenience. Verse 16, I'll leave it at that. If you see a fellow believer sinning in a way that does not lead to death, you should pray and God will give that person life. But there is a sin that leads to death and I'm not saying you should pray for those who commit it. All wicked actions are sin, but not every sin leads to death. I got to say this. This is one of the hardest scriptures to interpret in the Bible. 
Well, what do I mean by that? Well, John's talking about that there's one sin that leads to death, and there's other sin that does not lead to death. And so theologians have debated for centuries what he was referring to in this passage. Now, this is what I do know. The death that John is talking about here is eternal death or damnation, or what happens to us in the next life if we don't have Jesus in our lives. And here's what we know. Once sin entered the world, it produced both a physical and spiritual death for all of humanity. When Adam and Eve sinned, this is what happened to us. We, we all died. Well, well, we didn't die right away physically, but we eventually have to deal with physical death. But what then happened was Jesus came onto the scene. Who here is thankful for Jesus? Amen. And through his life, his death, his burial, and his resurrection, we have been released from spiritual death into eternal life. Now, I'd like to tell you that all death had been conquered, but for us, we know this, that unless Jesus returns and takes us up into heaven, we will all still face physical death. It's unfortunate. It's not something I'm looking forward to. You know, whether we live 60, 70, 80, I'm planning to live 120 years. I don't know about you. That's my goal. I want to maximize this thing. But I really don't have control over it. So then when the Bible talks about a sin that leads to death, what is it that is being talked about here? Well, I believe this, that some believe that it could be three things. Some believe it's the unforgivable sin or blasphemy against the Holy Spirit of that Jesus spoke about, that he said there's one sin that will not be forgiven. It's the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. I got to be honest with you. When I was a teenager and I first became a follower of Jesus and I heard that scripture, for about two years of my life, I was paranoid that I had committed the unforgivable sin. Now, you don't have to raise your hand, wink at me if you ever kind of were like, I went through a stage like that too, Pastor Todd, where I, I wonder, maybe you're here today and you're like, oh my goodness, have I blasphemed the Holy Spirit? What is, okay, what is blaspheming the Holy Spirit? What does it mean? Well, blasphemy is when you, to, it's the idea of speaking against the work or the nature or the person of God or the Holy Spirit. It's, they, they called it cursing. But I believe this, that when the Bible talks about the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, what it's really it is is where we, we, we totally disregard the working of the Holy Spirit when it comes to the conviction of sin in our life. Because he woos us and he, he calls us to respond to him. And I know this, in my, and I remember going to my youth pastor and saying, Oh my goodness, I think I've committed this sin. And he said, Todd, the fact that you're asking me this question tells me that you haven't committed that sin. I'm like, why? Because there's still conviction going on in your life. And you're, you're, you're worried about, the, 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 about sin. You know, I didn't have a right understanding about who God and my father was. We worked on that. And thankfully, that's kind of come into a better order and alignment. But the reality of it is, is that, that it's, a, it's a willful disregard to the working and the calling of the Holy Spirit that convicts us of our sin and, and leads us to Jesus. The second definition that it would relate to is living in continual unbelief to the person of, and the work of Jesus Christ. You see, we call that a hardness of heart. 
It's not recognizing him as the son of God, the savior of the world, the lover of your soul, refusing to accept his love and forgiveness throughout our lifetime. And I want to say this, that when God comes to us and speaks to us, because he's a loving father and he's a good God, he doesn't just come one time, he doesn't just come two times, he doesn't just come ten times, he doesn't just come a hundred times, he keeps coming and coming. And we don't know, we don't know what's in God's heart when it comes to where we're at towards people, but I believe that when it talks about this sin here, it's talking about people who live in unbelief, who just continue to deny and deny. There's nothing worse than being with somebody that you love, and up until their last breath, they just deny who Jesus is. It's sad. It's heart-wrenching. The last definition would be somebody who has become apostate, or someone who is unchangeable or unwilling to change. Now, these all sound very similar. It's where a person is continually bent on self-service and loves evil. They hate God and everything about his kingdom, and they've gone so far that they're without the possibility of redemption. Well, how do we know who those people are? I'm here to tell you today as a man who preaches the word of God, I don't know that I can say that about anybody. I believe this, that I believe that only God truly knows the heart condition of people. And our job is to pray for everybody. Our job is to believe that God can touch the heart of anybody. Our job is to keep, even though people are struggling with sin, even though people are, are struggling with making bad decisions, even though they're not living for God, that we pray for them and pray that God will touch their life. Can I hear an amen? You see, I believe that why we should do this, listen to this, is because we all struggle with sin in different areas of our life, if we're honest. Though I'm not controlled by sin, I still sin. You know, we should continue to pray for those whose hearts are far away from God. I believe that God changes people's hearts. As I was researching and looking at things, I was reminded of Who here knows who Avril Lavigne is? Canadian pop star. Well, who, you probably don't know this story, and I knew this even before things started to come out here, that Avril Lavigne actually grew up in the church. Her parents are born-again believers. They love God with all their heart. And when she was 16, 15 years old, all of a sudden, she began to become very popular with her music at a very young age. She had a lot of money thrown at her. She had a lot of different uh, things thrown at her. And so she rebelled. She walked away from God, the church, didn't want anything to do with it, and was living a very carnal, secular life. She had totally abandoned her faith in God. Well, in 2015, she was diagnosed with Lyme's disease. And because of the complications, was in so much pain that she thought she was going to die. She felt like she said, I read this interview, she felt like she was drowning underwater. And God cried out, she cried out to God to heal her and to save her. Well, what happened? Well, last year we know this, those of you that are into music, both on the secular and Christian side, she released her first song in five years, a worship song that many of you have probably heard, Underwater. 
You see, because of the prayers of her family and many others and the challenge of a, a debilitating disease, she now returned to where she belongs, the family of God. And I'm going to say this. doesn't mean she's perfect. doesn't mean she's got it all worked out. She's still a young person. Makes a lot of mistakes. But now Jesus is back in her life. Prayer is powerful and connects us to the heart of the Father. It allows us not only to love each other, but to love our enemies. Verse 18, we know that God's children do not make the practice of sinning, for God's Son holds them securely, and the evil one cannot touch them. We know that we are children of God, and the world around us is under the control of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we can know the true God and we can live in fellowship with the true God because we live in fellowship with the Son, Jesus Christ. He is the only true God. He is eternal life. I believe this, that God our Father wants every one of us to be free. His greatest desire for you is to be free, free from sin, free from addiction, free from whatever it is that's hindering you from being able to pursue what God has for you and especially being in relationship with him. And so John goes on to say, we know God's children do not make a practice of sinning. What's he really saying about this? He goes, even though you will struggle with sin, even though you will battle with things in your life, do not Accept sin as a lifestyle. Do not embrace it as an acceptable part of your walk with God. That our design and his desire is that each one of us would be warriors that would stand up and say, you know what, even though I make a thousand mistakes, God, I'm not accepting this and I'm asking you for your grace and your mercy to help me live the life that you've called me to live. I don't use your grace as a license to sin. You see, some around in Christendom today think that it doesn't matter what we do. And I believe this God will forgive us of anything. His grace is great. But I'm telling you that sin leads to bondage. And God's desire is that we would not be in bondage, but that we would overcome our sin with his grace. And then he says this, when you lean into my grace, it protects you from the power of the evil one, that God gives us his grace, not only to keep us from sin, but to keep us from the plans of the enemy. And he finishes with this, and I'm going to invite Margot to come up. He says, dear, dear children, keep away from anything that might take God's place in your hearts. His very last statement is do not allow anything to take God's place in your hearts. You see, we know this. There's competition for what and who will control our hearts. Is it a relationship? Is it people? Is it success? Is it position? What is it that controls your heart? Is it money? Is it pursuing money? It can be things that are even fun, like sports or shopping or video games. My question today is, what has your heart? God is a loving God, but he's completely jealous for our affections. He desires that we lean into Jesus and grow in our love for him. I want to ask a few questions as I close here this today. Who has your heart? Is Jesus in the first place in your heart? Is he on the throne of your heart.